Welcome to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. Each week, our host, Dr. Laura Shinneman, dives deep into school library topics to help you build your skills and take charge of your own professional development. Her mission is to create an environment where librarians flourish and become lifelong learners. Now, on to today's podcast. I'd like to welcome Kristen Badger to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. So Kristen, thanks for joining me today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background in the library. Thanks so much for having me, Laura. I'm completely honored to be here. I've been a school librarian for about 17 years here in Florida. Um, I've worked at all three levels, elementary, middle school, and high school, which I think is kind of unique for for many librarians. Um, I'm at a high school currently, which is new for me, um, but very exciting. And this is something I, I can remember even myself, I only ever worked in an elementary library, but I would always wonder, you know, like, what would it be like at the different levels? It, could you briefly just say like how you see a difference of, of your service? Maybe For at, sure. At levels? Yeah. It varies so much depending on the level that you're at. And honestly, also at the school that you're at, um, at elementary, obviously there's a lot more story time. Um, yeah. I did a lot more <laughs> lessons with, with the teachers um, at the middle school level, it's a lot more doing what you can to get the classes in there and almost like begging them to come to the library and advocating for the library and what you can offer uh-huh. um, and promoting reading. And at the high school level, it, I mean, this is my first year, like I said, in high school, and it seems to be all about being a space that the kids and the, or they're not even kids in high school, I guess, that the students and the staff um, want to be in, just making it an inviting space for them. So it really does vary based on what level you're at. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I know story time was such a huge part of my life, (laughs) you know, as as an definitely. Yeah. Okay. All right. And at middle school, that's not really a thing. I did do story time with some of my um, lower level ESE classes and uh-huh. self-contained classes, but that was pretty much it. And I honestly still miss it. I miss yeah. the story time. Yeah, that was, it's always fun. Good, fun, engaging thing. Now you mentioned Florida. So would you go ahead and, and just tell us briefly, like how do you become um, a librarian or maybe it's called media specialist there? What, what's the process in Florida? So in Florida, you have to have a certification in a subject area in order to, quote unquote, teach that subject area. So in Florida, you have to have an educational media specialist certificate. Okay. So I actually started off as a classroom teacher. I was a classroom reading teacher for a few years. And our district um, library media services person, the person in charge of all the librarians in the district, approached me and said he could see the passion in me. You know, I was, I was getting all of the kids in the school to read and promoting reading with all of them. Um, and he encouraged me to get certified for library media. Okay. I know some people kind of frown upon classroom teachers becoming librarians and just taking a, a certification test to become a librarian. But I honestly don't see anything wrong with it as long as you have the proper support and the proper mentors mm-hmm. to help guide you. Yeah. Yeah. Mentors can make all the difference in your success for sure. Um, and, and of course you can have a degree also in the field yeah. and then that will get you your certification. I did go back to school and get my master's okay. in um, library media. Okay. All right. Yeah. And that's been one of the most interesting things with the podcast is seeing the different requirements across our states. You know, there's 
it varies greatly where some it's just an endorsement, like to be certified, you know, just an endorsement, others that is the master's degree, and then all kinds of combinations, you know, of things in, in between those things. So it's, it's really interesting. And I love how so many of our states um, do that reciprocity, you know, so if you move, there's a good chance, you know, that you're, if it's a degree or a certification of some kind that it will um, be accepted, but it's, it's kind of interesting just to hear all the different um, ways uh, our states su support someone becoming a school librarian or a media specialist. So that and is also interesting. <laughs> Yeah, and in St. John's County, even the county that I'm in, we have so many that have come about it in different ways. We have several that were um, public librarians that okay. became school librarians. Yeah. Um, we have several that were teachers, and then we have several that went to school just to be a school librarian. Okay. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Yes, most for sure. All right, so um, you mentioned 17 years in the library. Um, what do you remember about your earliest years? What were those like? Oh my goodness. When I went from the classroom into the library, it was a, so let me, let me give you a little background. Okay. So I was a middle school and eighth grade reading teacher. All right. And the job that became available was at an elementary school okay. that had just opened that year. And it was in, in September and in Florida, here in Florida, we usually start school in August. So the school had been open about a month and a half. So I guess it was end of September, beginning of October. Mm -hmm. And the media specialist that opened the school had a nervous breakdown. Oh, no. It was so stressful <laughs> opening this school. The oh, school wow. opened extremely overcrowded. It was built for 900 students. It opened with 1,200. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, <laughs> and then I... Um, by the time I was hired, it was probably even mid-October, end of October, and they'd had a long-term sub in the library for several weeks. So I kind of walked into a mess. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I was 100% completely overwhelmed. I had never worked with, I mean, we had pre-K even at that school. So I had never worked with students that young. The yeah. fifth graders were exactly like the middle schoolers. There was no difference there, but it was those really little ones that I had no idea what to do with, what I was doing. I didn't know much about picture books. I had read every, every book that had won the Newbery Medal. I had read, you know, all of our state award books for the past several years, but I didn't know picture books. So yeah. it was a, a big learning curve and I was just totally overwhelmed and felt like I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> But you made it and you survived. <laughs> I made it and I survived. And actually two years later, I went on to be teacher of the year at our school. Oh, wow. Um, so just showing, you know, those listening, if you're feeling overwhelmed and like you don't know what you're doing, you'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, is Give there yourself some grace? <laughs> yes, great. That's definite. Um, so is there any kind of advice that could have helped you when you were starting out? For sure. Um, I had an amazing mentor, which is one of the, the reasons why I think it was okay that I went from being in the classroom into the library. I had a mentor who helped me every step of the way. She okay. literally came after she got out of school every day and worked with me. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a lot of kind of handholding to teach me. I mean, I, I passed a certification test that I could go into the library. I had no classic library training, but wow. I had amazing mentors that helped me. We okay. also have a huge support network in our county. We meet monthly okay. um, with all of the media specialists. So my advice would be ask for help, 
have mm-hmm. mentors, mm-hmm. um, become involved with the library community, whether that's through Facebook and the Facebook groups or attending conferences, all of those things will help you become a better librarian and yeah. will help you with your profession. It's, it's, it's so powerful to engage in others in our profession. Mm-hmm. And really you were talking about like a professional learning community, you know, you're just being, or some people call it personal learning, you know, network, there's all kinds of different ways, you know, to refer to it, but um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how we make it through, <laughs> you know, it makes all the difference in the world um, for sure. And those that I see that are fail, flailing or failing a little bit, yeah. um, are the ones who aren't reaching out and they're not, they're not connecting with the network and they're scared to ask for help. So that is a huge component and it's so powerful. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Kristen, we're going to fast forward now, 17 years later. Um, of course, you're still doing a new job or newer job, you know, <laughs> at the high school level, but what, what kind of things have you done that have uh, this year that have really made it be a, a great year or, a, you know, just something that you're proud of? The super cool thing that I've done this year is dynamic shelving in the library. Um, So to back up a little bit, I guess I've realized this year just how important it is, how to having your books displayed in a certain way. That has been a big light bulb moment for me this year, so to speak. Um, I started off the year with not enough shelving. So all of our brand new, amazing, beautiful Mac and bound books and follow bound books were just crammed into the shelves because we didn't have enough shelving. Yeah. There was very little circulation. I mean, we had stacks of books just all over the tops of the bookcases. We have these gorgeous new bookcases, but everything was just crammed in there because we didn't have Mm -hmm. enough space. Okay. And we were just trying to get it somewhere out of boxes. Yeah. We got more of our shelving, the rest of our shelving. We were able to put all of the books on the shelves the normal way. Okay. You know, spine out, spine facing out. I put some on top like I usually do and our circulation went up. Okay. And then, so that shows you the difference there, just going from crammed in shelving to, you know, regular shelving, my circulation went up. So I noticed the difference there. And then I started seeing um, people posting on the Facebook groups and on different library blogs about dynamic shelving, yes. which has become yeah. kind of this new trend in the library much. world. Yeah. And so I said, you know what, I've got the space. I'm going to try this. And I honestly shouldn't even say I have the space. You really don't need any more space. So let me, let me reverse that and take that back. You don't need more space to do dynamic shelving. I just decided I was going to try it now that we had these new books and these new bookcases. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I basically made the bookcases look like Barnes and Noble. (laughs) It's Barnes and Nobly bookcases. Instead of all spine out, it's a lot more vertical stacking. It's a lot more front facing books on all of the shelves, not just on top. Mm -hmm. Um, And my, we just did that about a month ago and our circulation has skyrocketed. Wow. wow. The difference between when we had spine out normal old school library shelving to now has been unreal. The students are constantly talking about it. Um, I did have to make sure that they realized they could take the books that were quote unquote <laughs> on display because, you know, they're scared to, oh, this one looks like it's on display. Can I take it? Yeah. So I do tell them all like we have a lot more books on display now. Um, yes, you can take those. And I have been very careful and conscious with, um, I'm sure Laura, you know, all about 
the, you know, banning that's going on around the country. Um, and we have to be very careful what books we recommend these days. So I do tell the students, you know, these are just super popular books that are on display. I'm, I'm not saying that those are books that I, Miss Badger, have recommended. I'm just saying that they're popular books that have been recommended by other people. Um, so I have been conscious about that. But boy, I have just realized that how you display your books makes such a difference. Yeah. Okay. So when you, when you turn some of the books um, on their side, you know, um, what, what's like your strategy with that? Are you putting them in certain groups? Like at Barnes and Nobles, it might've been like a little mystery stack or an author stack. You know, what, what kind of strategy are you using? Or are That's you? That's a good question. So I should say my, my library is completely genre-fied. Okay. I started doing that with my library last year and that is a, total game changer people like if that is something you think will help your students find books then you should totally do it I'm a big proponent of that I'm a big proponent honestly of doing whatever whatever you need to do to meet your students and staff's needs in your library Hmm. so that that is something my students need they were constantly coming in asking me where the funny books were or where the scary books were. So it just makes sense to have those sections. Mm -hmm. So my library is completely, all of my fiction books are completely 100% genre-fied. I chose to use fine label stickers on them. I know some people do color coding. There's all different techniques out there for Mm -hmm. genre-fying. But I have fine label stickers and then they're labeled by sublocation in our Mm -hmm. circulation system. So within that genre, how I do dynamic shelving is I'll take Maybe there's a certain author that has a bunch of books, mm-hmm. like in the scary horror section, it's Mary Downing Hahn. So okay. she has a ton of books. And even at the high school level, I have her books because I still find them scary. So of course, <laughs> some of my, my high school students will find them scary too. Yeah. So I'll take her books and I'll stack them vertically with this fine showing. And then maybe I'll set one of her books on top. So it's almost like an author feature display. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Sometimes I do that with other series, like in the dystopian section, we have, you know, the whole match series stacked that way with the, the first one sitting on top. Mm-hmm. Um, I have um, in the adventure section, I have James Pawnee's dead city series, you know, stacked that way with the, the first one sitting on top and mm-hmm. so on. Okay. That, so I, kind of highlighting those series in those different authors. Yeah. Um, we'd, I'd love for you to share some pictures, Kristen, that we could put onto the, the show notes page, you know, where, where we feature this interview. So that way the, anybody who's listening could go back and maybe look at some, um, catch some visions, you know, of what you're saying. Um, I would love to do that. Yeah. And I also, I'll, I'll have some, I don't have them on there yet, but I'll make sure um, to put some on my my website page. I have okay. a website. At, um, if you just Google book, love and badger, um, you'll stumble upon my website and there's all sorts of pictures and tidbits and helpful hips, helpful tips about everything yeah. we've been talking about. So what's been some of the feedback from the kids or maybe even teachers, you know, who have come in and seen that your, your dynamic shelving. They're absolutely loving it. Like I said, the students at first were like, can I take this book? It looks like it's on display. So after the first couple of, of groups came in and were asking that, I kind of stopped and made sure they all knew mm-hmm. that they could take those books on display. Um, I'll make that part of my library orientation next year. I do orientation at the beginning of every year with all of my classes. Um, yeah. Sometimes I do that face-to-face with all of the classes. So 
sometimes I just make a video and send it out that my language arts teachers, you know, show from their Mm -hmm. classrooms, but I will definitely incorporate that next year. Um, The students are saying they can find the book so much easier. Um, They love seeing the covers of the books. Mm -hmm. Like I said, my, my circulation has quadrupled since what it was at the beginning of the year, just from doing the shelving. And it's doubled since, since the shelving where it was spine out. So it really has that. That's just been the biggest light bulb moment this year, how much of a difference it makes when you display books. Yeah. And when I think about high schools, they're not all coming in you know, like an elementary school, you know, where they're coming in weekly and nonstop, you know, on time. Um, that's really huge that your, your high school, you're seeing that much of a, of an increase. Um, and, and at first I kind of, everyone was like, oh, high schoolers don't read, they don't check out books. And so I was kind of thinking, oh, it doesn't matter that they're all crammed on the shelves. But then once I started seeing when we got our bookcases and we had them spine out and they were checking out books, I was like, maybe they'll check out even more yeah. if we display them differently. And, and sure enough, they are. So high schoolers do read. Yes. Okay. And middle schoolers do read. I was in middle school probably the longest. And, and that's my kind of passion group. Um, those awkward little in between years, but middle schoolers do read. So if you're with middle schoolers, don't discount them and think that they don't read. Yeah. Okay. So that was most, I think, fiction that you were describing. Do you do the same kind of thing in your nonfiction area? That's a really good question. I haven't yet. Okay. Um, my nonfiction is standard Dewey right now, but I am in the process of pulling out certain sections of nonfiction to make them more visible. So I recently pulled out all of our cookbooks and I put them on a bookcase. Hmm. Um, I pulled out poetry and I put them on a big bookcase Um, with poetry on one side and novels and verse on the other side. And so I have already done those dynamic shelving. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the rest of my nonfiction is pretty dynamic. And honestly, nonfiction is a small portion of my collection. Um, Nonfiction, I've just realized the students don't need it for research like they used to. And Mm -hmm. so most of the nonfiction that I have are books that they would actually want to read nonfiction reading books, books Mm -hmm. like Friday Night Lights or um, topics that that just they're they're really interested in. No, but I'm kind of picturing what you're saying, though, because they're sometimes it's um, most of the nonfiction that's research based. They're probably going to be online, you know, and in the databases that you have or, you know, whatever else that you have. But then there's always going to be other topics that are not necessarily academic related. (laughs) Right. In the nonfiction area that that they, they're curious about, you know, want to know more. At the beginning of the year, I did start off the, the school year with a counselor corner. My counselors had approached me and asked if I would have a space for them to display materials for um, college applications and promoting different colleges and college visits that were coming and different things like that, different programs available. So I have an area called the counselor corner, and I actually pulled out all of my nonfiction self-help type books and put them in that area. So I have a a bookcase of self-help. I have a bookcase of careers. I have a bookcase of college prep, a bookcase of test prep. And all of those I have already done dynamic shelving. So I guess I have done some dynamic shelving with the nonfiction, but it's kind of on a smaller scale and on those books that I've pulled out. Yeah. Already. <laughs> well, since send some pictures of, of a little bit of both kind, like some of fiction and even like your counselor corner or something, that would be really um, probably inspirational to see, and you know, they can think about their own campuses and you know what's what's important for them. So for sure, and it. that that goes right into my 
the thing that I really wanted to talk about next. <laughs> okay, what is that? So it's so important to have a space that meets the needs for your school. So stop and think about what your school needs mm-hmm. and then work to meet those needs. A library and a librarian can be and offer so many different things. Discuss this with your admin. Like what, what do they think the needs for your school are? So as I said, I, I've worked at uh, four different schools as a librarian, or I don't think I said that earlier, but I have worked at four different schools at all different levels. And at each one, the needs have been completely different. Wow. And my role has been completely different um, in spite of it being the same exact job. So at one school, we had a lot of first year teachers. And one need was for me to model best teaching practices and integrating technology into lessons. So the teachers would bring their classes to the library. I would teach various research skills, things like that, while integrating technology and modeling Mm -hmm. those skills for those teachers. So of course, in that library, I had a huge classroom area because I was teaching so much. Right. At one school, the main need, I talked to the principal before I was hired at the school, and she said, there is no culture of reading here. Like no one's reading. I want, that's my main goal is for you to build a culture of reading. And so at that school, I rarely taught anything. So I'd gone from one school teaching almost all day, every day in the library to the next school, which was, they were, those two were both middle schools to barely teaching at all because I was focusing so much on building that culture of reading. I of course taught when the, the, you know, teachers came to me asking for a specific thing, but I wasn't actively seeking that out. So at that school, because the need was to have a culture of reading, I started promoting the state award books with the staff and got the staff reading them and then encouraged them to promote them with their students. Mm -hmm. And we created a whole culture of reading based around our state award books. Okay. And I had a ton of book displays. My library looked different at that school than it had at my previous school because the needs were different. Mm -hmm. Um, at my current school, my brand new high school, the biggest need, because it's a brand new school and we're all coming from different places, was for the students and the staff to have a place to go where they feel like they belong. Mm-hmm. So I made a huge coffee bar area. We have coffee that the students can buy and it's free for staff. And it's the most popular place in the school and wow. everyone does feel like they belong there. Mm-hmm. So I guess my point is to really stop and think about what your school needs from you as a librarian, mm-hmm. especially if you're on a flexible schedule. If you're on a fixed schedule, your hands may be a little bit tied. True. If you're on a flexible schedule, I mean, our, our we wear so many hats as a librarian and we have so many different roles. Mm-hmm. Think of which ones are the most important and that your school needs the most and focus on those. And also you can rearrange your library to help you meet those needs. So a lot of people, a lot of people don't realize like everything in that library space is movable. Like you don't have to walk into a library and take it as is. It doesn't have to stay set up how the contractor set it up or how the librarian that was before you set it up. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to move the furniture and think outside of the box a little bit to get the space, how you need it and how it will work for you. Mm -hmm. Good point. Your custodial staff or whoever might not be happy, (laughs) but 
but yes, and, and that even happened, you know, like I know nowadays they make so many shelves on movable, you know, on casters or whatever, but even like a lot of your furniture that you think is fixed, you know, in place, it, it really can be moved. <laughs> it can be moved. I've done it at every school I've been at. I've been at really old schools with really old furniture. We lifted the ends of the bookcases with all of the books on them. Oh my goodness. Put in those little um, moving men slider yes. things. Yes. And you can push those bookcases across the floor. Wow. And the one school that I was talking about that I was at um, that needed me modeling to the teachers, mm-hmm. that's how we made a classroom area. We moved some of the bookcases so it kind of sectioned off a little space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's how we did it. But every single library I've been at, even with the old school furniture, I've moved everything around to meet the needs of that school. And it has been different at every single school. And and that really goes to the point, you know, like we always know we have to be flexible and you had mentioned that too, but just, just showing you that how our, our job is so unique, you know, compared to so many of the other ones that are pretty much doing the same kind of thing all the time, but (laughs) we're trained in a lot of things, you know, and um, we're ready to help. Yeah. And don't be scared to remind your administration of that as well. So I always try and sit down with my principal and if possible, my assistant principals and literacy coach, whoever is your head admin team, um, either in pre-planning or towards the beginning of the year and, and talk about, you know, the many different things that you can do and talk about, you know, what they think your main focus should be, because mm-hmm. it is really hard because we have so many hats. If you're trying to do them all, It can be extremely overwhelming. So having one main focus, and I want to say when, when I'm talking about these things, that doesn't mean I'm letting everything else go. Um, Just because I was focusing on, you know, teaching and modeling, teaching and modeling, integrating technology, that doesn't mean I was letting the reading and promotion and stuff go. It just means that wasn't my main focus at that school. So it does help kind of center you if Mm -hmm. you have a main focus and your admin you know, is, is helping to make those decisions, but it also does remind your admin, Hey, I can do all of these things. You know, all of these things are things that I can offer, but what would you like me to focus on? Yeah. Yeah. And talk about, um, adding value, you know, to your role. Um, when you bring the admin in, you know, and you are trying to support what they're doing, that just hugely raises your, your visibility, you know, to them and your, the importance of what you can do and, um, it's, it's really advocating for your, the importance of your role. You know, a lot of times we advocate for the students, you know, what, what they need in the library, but there's times I think we need to advocate for the, the value of ourselves. you know, that, that we're bringing. I think that's one way, you know, that we can do that. So 100%, it's so important. I feel like we, we constantly have to advocate and remind people what we're doing because they mm-hmm. forget. And sometimes they think we're just sitting in the library reading all day yeah. or, or shelving books and that's it. Yeah. Um, I even, I send a, a monthly report to my admin telling them what we've, what we've done in the library that month, you know, how many books we've circulated, different things like that. And I even changed that report based on what it seems like the school's needs were. So yeah. like I said, my school right now really needs a place for people to feel comfortable and to come and kind of almost hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, and feel like they belong. We're trying to create a sense of community. We're a brand new high school. So in my report, I put how many visitors we have each day in the library. That's good. That's not something I tracked at any of the other schools because it wasn't needed. Yeah. So um, 
changing that report and having a report that you send to your admin every month and just say, here you go, here's what we did. I saw this many classes. I checked out this many books. We added this many books to the collection mm-hmm. and this many students, you know, walk through our door, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever you think you need in your report. Very good point. All right, well, Kristen, you have shared so many ideas with people today. Um, is there any kind of closing thoughts you wanna make sure the audience hears from you as we're starting to wrap up our time together? Just don't be scared to ask for help. Yeah. You got this. You can do it. We're all here together. Um, reach out to people, you know, mentors, uh, edgy liberties, people yeah. um, that you've seen on, on Facebook sharing ideas. Don't be scared to, to ask for help. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Now I know earlier you had mentioned like your website, the book loving badger, um, so what, where else can our listeners find you online? And we're going to put all of these links in the show notes so that they can click them and, and go and follow you. Pretty much everything is under book loving badger. So it's okay. loving, not, not loving with a G, but loving. So I have a, a website, bookloveandbadger.weebly.com. And then um, it's the same at Twitter and Instagram, book okay. love and badger. And you can even find me that way on Facebook. All right. That's great. Um, I love that you have one handle that that just carries through everything. So (laughs) makes it easier to find you. But thanks again for your time, Kristen. It was so much fun talking to you. Uh, Nice getting to know you. You're doing some awesome things um, in Florida and and just really for all of us to see everywhere across America and the world. But thanks for your time and have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for having me, Laura. Bye-bye.